That so, is so funny. How? Yeah. <laughs> Robot laugh track. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Jacob Kenny. And I'm Liam McPherson. It's the newest edition of your moderator's favorite podcast. It's, it's Speech from, from the, the Throne, throne. Episode, episode 10. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest from the Halls of Power. But not with more TikTok Amber Heard takedowns. We're just here to argue. Hey, Jacob, who are we talking to today? No one. Each other. Good job. Hey, Jacob, what are we talking about today? Well, Liam, we're recording this on Wednesday, May the 11th, and we have just witnessed a few minutes ago the completion of the first official conservative leadership rate this time uh, it's conservative leadership debate this time we do not have an empty podium representing patrick brown he had the balls to show up and speak for himself and thank goodness he did because uh, he actually had some some interesting things to say but i'm going to open my take by talking about the chameleon in the room the the one who i think everyone has been talking about is the front runner pierre polyev this debate was interesting it had an opportunity several opportunities, too many opportunities, you could say, for him to show what his personality was. And uh, he chose every single opportunity instead to highlight his lack of personality, his commitment to his political vision, I suppose his allies would say. But I think more likely it papered over his, his true self and tried to paste on top of it a political veneer, a an alien person with no real thoughts or feelings, but only vague political goals that you can't really put down. And the, the answer that really solidified this for me was when he was asked by the moderator, what is he listening to? And this man in Alberta, he says, oh, I'm listening to, to Paul Brandt, the, the famous uh, Canadian, or yeah, Albertan. I, I, I don't know why I, I stumbled when I said Canadian, but I, th I think of him now more as being American, to be honest. But yes, he's technically from Alberta, Paul Brandt, a country singer. Really big playing in the radios when uh, I was growing up there and, and still a very popular name in Alberta. But it, it rings to me exactly the same sort of uh, p political positioning that Jason Kenney did when he brought his, brought his big blue truck, his, his pickup truck around Alberta in 2019. And, you know, it, it's pandering. It's just pandering. He's giving the audience what they want to hear. It doesn't tell me anything about his personality. And then you ask him, what's he reading? Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Come on. I could have on. called that. Yeah, exactly. Like, we could have written a meme where he filled that in. Like, what Jesus. are you watching? Oh, I'm watching a, I'm watching a show about, Cancel uh, culture. about Trotsky and, and, the, and, and the evils of communism. Like, either this guy is a... A completely different species, and he has absolute. There's he never turns off. He he goes home and just like yells political lectures to his wife for uh, the rest of the day before exhausting himself and, and falling to sleep or inserting himself to into a sleep pod in the wall and 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 and, and turning him himself off for the night, or. He's a completely different person, as we've all discovered Jason Kenney was, the man who doesn't know how to drive the pickup truck. And this is just a performance that he put on for us. I tend to think 
It's the performance. And we're seeing, you know, he, in the last debate, uh, Pierre Polyev accused Patrick Brown of, of being someone that, that says one thing to one audience and one thing to another. I think this is the, the, the pot calling the kettle black. The reason why Pierre Polyev is so willing to do this is, it was so willing to make that attack is because he's exactly that person. And if you, you see his answer as well with uh, the supply management, you know, oh, I, I, I hate communism. I, I hate the government controlling your life. But except in this one case when we're, <laughs> the, the government is, is completely managing uh, the, the private market, well, that's totally fine. And I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to invent a complete lie. I'm going to tell you that supply management somehow makes your life more affordable. Just nuts. This is a man who believes nothing, who has no personality, at least no personality he's willing to project to us. Why is he still allowed in the debate stage? That's my take. And there is absolutely nothing in those two hours of debate that convinced me otherwise. In fact, it only solidified my stance against him. Well, I mean, you know, Pierre Polyev is, uh, I don't want to say an, an enigma. I mean, I think he's... He's maybe an, an enigma to us as progressives because he's just so on-brand conservative in so many ways. And like like I said in during your preamble, I could have called that he was going to cite Jordan Peterson's book as something he'd just read. Yeah. Uh, and that's – but that's not because – like, yeah, yes, I think maybe Paul Brandt was, was pandering. You know, he was aware of, of where he was geographically speaking. But I, I genuinely think the guy does – I, I don't know if the guy sits and watches crypto videos late at night. That I don't know if is if that's actually true. Yeah, I hope um, not. What I do think is genuinely true is that he is into that kind of Jordan Peterson brand of conservatism. Ever since he was a little boy, he'd always been honestly your classic like really nineteen eighties Reagan conservative, and and he looks I know he looks up quite a lot to Ronald Reagan. In the, you know, like, I'm anti-big government, you know, it's about individual responsibility. It's a bit libertarian, even, individual responsibility and, um, you know, the best paycheck is a job and all the usual yap, yap, yap. And, you know, Patrick Brown alluded to a, a 2008 comment by Pierre Polyev on the day of the uh, residential school's apology uh, that Stephen Harper made, where he said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, but you can Google this, listeners, um, the best way for uh, Indigenous people to, to carry on from residential schools is to get off their backs and get a job or to, to get to learn what a day's work is like or, or something just completely boilerplate. And and I will say that's one of the ironies about this guy, I, I have to say, because he's been on the public dime since he was 25 and he's yep. trying to lecture the liberals about being career a career politician and, and about only caring about the elite and this and that. And he's, and he's selling the message very effectively because I think he genuinely, I mean, he's been railing against the elite, quote unquote, since he was 13. I do, do genuinely believe he holds those convictions, but there's one major flaw in, on his moral superiority arc that he's sort of constructing. And that is the fact that he has been on the public dime since 25. And I think his opponents will probably start to point that out. Um, I think that's one of the major holes in his sort of facade, and I don't know if it'll matter to his most diehard supporters, but I do think it's an important uh, contrast to draw. Uh, you know, whether or not it'll have a deep effect on votes remains to be seen. On, on selling memberships, on, on the voting, the final voting in September remains to be seen. Um, but anyway, well, and, and think my... about how he was attacked as well for his crypto advice. Like, I think this is a guy who he doesn't seem to be able to interpret that his words have meaning that he, he I think I he just sort of speaks without without thinking that like his words are an attack. But I don't think he, yeah. he sees of his I think he's I think he sees his political theater. 
because sure, the idea sure. that someone would follow his advice and lose money seemed to be completely foreign to him. So I was like, about to oppose you uh, there yeah. when you when you said, but oh, you okay, but you okay. but you you came around to like when you said that it's political theater. I absolutely agree. That's what I was was gonna say and. Um, I, I think, I don't think he, like I said, I don't think he stays up watching those videos late at night, those crypto videos, no. like he says he does. Uh, I do genuinely believe that he holds most of the convictions that like, like his campaign is very him. It's very him. Yep. If you if, listeners probably haven't been following Pierre Polyev as much as, as, as Jacob and I have, but you, you guys have to know, um, like I said, from the moment this guy could basically like get involved in any way that didn't involve a chaperone. He was showing up to Reform Party events, uh, then Reform Party in the 1990s, very conservative party, uh, showing up to Canadian Alliance events, showing up to then when the, the Conservatives united, uh, the, the sort of united conservative events. And and that's just sort of always been his brand. Uh, and I think he was involved in the, in the PCs in some way. I'd have to, I can't remember if it was PCs or Reform, but he was a university president or something at one point he was advocating for unite the right and patrick brown was also high up in the university political sphere and he was advocating to to maintain things as they were and so that a lot of these sort of it's just a lot of these but these battles have been building up for for 20 years to be honest 25 years and you know the unite the the conservatives and the canadian alliance once two separate parties merged in 2000 end of 2003 uh, to become the United Conservative Party, and their first election was in two thousand four, and um, and that's the Conservative Party we know today. But that's it's the the cracks are starting to show because there's it's such a big tent that I mean we saw it more last week in the sort of an unofficial debate that took place. Uh, uh, it's like they have some sort of really propaganda name now. It's the Canada Canada Strong and Free Network or something, and it used to be the Manning Center, which was founded by Preston yeah. Manning. He was the the first Reform Party leader and founder. And uh, it was there was a lot of vitriol in that debate, uh, and just like the format was a lot more open. Okay, here's the question you guys have at it, and Sheree and Polyev were just throwing knives at each other, and Scott Aitchison was like, "Won't someone think of the children?" And he was still doing that tonight. He was a little bit saying, "Won't something think of think of the children?" So won't someone think of the children rather? Uh, and and I think. You know, there were moments of that, but maybe less so because they were sort of constrained by the debate format, which is something I'd like to pivot towards. Um, I think Pierre Polyev avoided a lot of flack tonight because of the debate format. Uh, And that was a a point that before we were uh, broadcasting that you you pointed out as well. He he managed to avoid a lot of scrutiny and you can feel free to to uh, expand on that uh, point on your end as well. But for my point, um, I think what it allowed Polyev to do was kind of almost looked like he was staying out of the fray like yes he he raised his paddle a couple of times to get in but everybody was dying to get a a punch in on him and uh, again i don't know whether or not that's going to substantially affect votes or or memberships or anything but it it, it's 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 playing right into his hands look at all these old boys coming after me look at all these elites and you know jean charret tried to go on an attack where he uh, was was pestering Pierre Polyev to be more clear on abortion because he'd said the whole night, if I uh, lead a government, we will not introduce legislation on the women's right to choose. We will not even pursue that because they know it's political poison. Even Polyev, who is playing with some other things I would argue are, are possibly political poison, won't touch this. And so Charest's like, okay, but you haven't said whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice. Which at first I thought was a wise approach, but um, Pierre Polyev turned right around and said, Just you know what, I up. am pro-choice. 
uh, unlike yourself, who in the 1990s, uh, as part of the Mulroney government, voted to restrict abortion. And that is true. They looked surprised and and taken aback. Uh, wasn't expecting that to come up, I guess. And it is true. He did vote for that uh, back, in, back in the day. Obviously, his position has changed, but that doesn't matter. It plays right into Polyev's hands of making him look like a, a has-been. And, yeah. uh, no, or it's, just, it's, it's even more than that. It's a perfect attack for Sheree, who's trying to get support from the left of the Conservative Party. And he's a sen- and what uh, Pierre Polyev is doing is essentially cutting him off from that support. Yeah. He's like, all you progressive conservatives out there, this is not your guy. This, is, this guy is pretending to be more progressive than he actually is. He's, he, he's attacking me for, for being pro-life when he's the one that was actually out there voting to restrict women's abortion access. And it was, I, a, I it hate was to a admit genius it. attack. Yes, I hate to admit it, but it was quite a, it was quite a good rebuttal. And, and Pierre Polyev mm-hmm. has proven himself to be a, a, quite a competent debater if you're, you're expecting to— He's a pugilist, to... and that's what he's, he's good at. He's a so witch? That's his arena. A, a pugilist, a fighter. Oh, yes. He's always been the attack dog in the conservatives. He was— he he's had a long history of of the one doling out the most hyper partisan smears he possibly can, and uh, I do think that when it gets turned up too high, like it did last week, it'll turn a lot of people off. And I guarantee you, the liberals have stockpiled uh, clips from that debate to paint him with if he ever becomes leader, which I uh, it, right now it's likely he will. Um, but I want to I want to p- sort of pivot to some of the other people on the stage. Uh, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I I think Scott Aitchison is probably every liberal's favorite conservative right now not because we'd vote for him in a general but my my gosh uh talk about the only adult on the stage you know he i think he he had a lot of coherence uh, in a lot of his thoughts he had some good ideas on foreign policy and and domestic uh de- like defense policy that i thought were sensible um that aren't you know exclusively conservative ideas necessarily like uh, i mean his you know fiscally he was talking about you know conservative things and and scrapping the carbon tax and blah 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 and all that stuff all the typical crap but yep. some of his other ideas were were quite palatable and would be quite palatable to a general audience it, it's just the problem that he's he's so irrelevant in terms of support he's he's not a factor but it was still nice to hear his voice and i think his his voice will add something to the debate to the debate and if it's a close race uh he could play some sort of role i don't know for which side but I liked hearing from him. It was nice to hear from Patrick Brown again, not because I necessarily agreed with him, but because I think he adds uh, another sort of you know. I mean, I don't think for the record that he should be in the race um, based on the the allegations against him, which were not refuted. It was just the age of yep. the alleged victims that were refuted. Uh, that was the only thing that was refuted in the lawsuit that was settled, and somehow he's still being allowed to 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 run. I have a problem with that. But from a purely like political perspective, his points, sure, it was nice to hear his voice. He sounded, again, more like an adult uh, on the stage. And, um, you know, Pierre Polyev tried a couple of times to turn it into a, a student, a university uh, association debate. And I think he, he, you know, succeeded once with his, his attack on Charest. And it was very effective. You know, sometimes you want to turn it into, sometimes you want to get the zingers in. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think... I think Brown was trying to get at Polyev and he wasn't able to because he, the, the, the format was so restrictive as particularly in the first half that like, you know, like candidates would almost verbally subtweet the other. So they'd like kind of allude to who they were talking about, but then that person wasn't able to respond. There was no natural exchange. 
there was and a you de- weren't allowed to say the name of the candidates you wanted to attack. No, kinda. but then they eventually dropped yeah. that rule because Justin yeah. Trudeau was mentioned about 30,000 times and there was no womp, womp, womp. And for context listeners, if you weren't listening to the debate or watching the debate, which, you know, probably for the best, um, <laughs> uh, every time that a candidate on stage mentioned another politician by name, whether it was, you know, like the prime minister, prime minister Trudeau, or whether it was a candidate on the stage, there was a sound effect that would go womp, womp, womp to kind of like discourage them from just, you know, being petty. But that was quickly, they, they quickly gave up on enforcing that because candidates kept pushing it. Because they were too it. petty. And yep. so, uh, that kind of went by the wayside. But uh, I don't know. I thought the the debate format the first half was quite restrictive. They had some questions about, you know, what what book were you reading and like what have you been watching and like it was a little bit humanizing and kind of cute at first. So, you know, it was like, oh, you know, isn't that nice? They do regular people things. And then there were like two or three more questions of that theme, and it was like, okay, can we get on to like actual exchanges? Because at that point in the debate, there had been no debate section where there was like sort of free conversation allowed it, it was just sort of like candidate a what do you think about this candidate b what do you think about this and like no chance to respond so i, I had a problem with that well i'm wondering if the debate format was intentionally created to remove that element of combat because Maybe. they saw how negatively the first unofficial debate in ottawa was covered Possibly. like that was every single newspaper had essentially the same take that the you and i did with which was that it was a it was a it was a knife fight it was brutal it was there was blood on the floor oh, and yeah. I think the party may have suggested that they can't possibly uh, allow this to happen. Even Preston Manning like was grossed de- out. Oh yeah, anyone would be grossed out. I mean, watching the first debate, you it's hard to imagine how any of those people could exist in the same party after one of them wins the leadership race. the The debate we watched tonight. Um, you know, it was definitely, it, it got personal at some moments, but I, I think it was more similar to debates we've seen before where we could sort of accept that, you know, all of these people would be willing to serve under the same party. Now, unfortunately, I think there were quite a few moments where they could have gotten more heated and chose not to. There were exchanges. I remember like uh, Bobber seemed to suggest that he was going to remove indigenous rights in, um, uh, pipeline approval and scott atchison who was supposed to be uh, debating him just agreed um like oh yeah i think that's a good idea or didn't or refused to make a contrast with him like there was a few moments where, where people sort of uh lost the plot at charade as well when he was debating uh, when he was debating babber didn't pick up on the the lockdowns as aggressively as i i felt he he needed to 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 really make a contrast there was one moment from atchison um, again, proving your point that he is the every liberal's favorite in the race, <laughs> where he, I, I think he had the best uh, attack on Pierre Polyev uh, tonight, and that was when really? he said, "I would make, yeah, he said I would make Pierre Polyev my minister of the energy, a minister. I was either minister of the environment or minister of energy. I can't remember which, but basically saying like." Uh, yeah, Pierre, I'm, and he said, you know, Pierre's really good at, at getting rid of gatekeepers. He keeps saying that in his campaign. So that's, that's the job I'm going to give you when I'm prime minister. Hmm. It's, I think it's very much putting him in his place and, and, and showing Pierre, like, you know, you, you talk a good game, but you have no idea what the hell is going on here. You're someone who you're, you're a hammer and that's how Stephen Harper used you. Yeah. That's, that's what you're good at. You're good at beating people up. 
but don't pretend that you have some uh, wild aspirations for government. And in the and what I appreciated in the early part of the debate, at the very least, was when they had those follow-up questions from the moderator. And the moderator asked, like, okay, you have this grand vision. How are you going to accomplish it? And really, none of the, the candidates, save Atchison or Sheree, uh, had anything in line of, of substantial arguments. Uh, Pierre Polyev was a little bit better at, at pivoting to... Uh, other talking points, but he was not very good at, at, at talking about the, the policies that he wants to implement. He would just go after, he'd just go attacking other people, like, oh, here's the people I would fire, here are the people I would replace um, as, uh, as my solution to every possible problem. Whereas Atchison and, and Sheree actually had ideas, and they, and they had, um, it seems like a knowledge of the real issues facing the the country versus you know whatever Fox News claims is the issue facing Canada, right? Which I found really good to see. And then Brown, um, he made an he made one of the the best arguments I thought for conserve or sorry for policies that we as a country need to implement. But he used conservative values to sell those policies. Yeah. And I really, really wish uh, we could have a conservative party that makes those arguments. And yeah, I understand what you said about, about Brian and the, and the, and the sexual, uh, well, I guess it's not sexual assault, but basically that he, he used his, it seems like he, he used his position of, of power and influence to, uh, um, to, to curry sexual favors or to, or, or to harass people. Uh, is what's been alleged. Um, and this is not appropriate for anyone that's seeking the leadership of, of a federal party. No. So I wish someone would be you. I wish someone would use his language. I hope Sheree would use his language because it was, it was actually quite good. Like when he says, we need to, um, we need to promote indigenous self-determination and indigenous rights and implement uh, the 95 recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, because that's our only way to build pipelines. Well, Sheree didn't say that. He's, he wouldn't commit uh, no, to No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wish, I, I wish Sheree would say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Brown, Brown was the one who said that. That was a good, that was a very good point. Like, yeah. we need, or he says, like, uh, Pierre Polyev, your your comments about indigenous people are what's going to stop us from building pipelines. Like, yeah, it's, and it's I wanted very to see him go ahead to tell. I wanted, I, I wanted I, to I see wish, him I wish you could see that. Like it was, it was. These are the points that you need to use to sell conservatives on these policies, and I think that uh, you know we as liberals have sort of forgotten that that is necessary. We keep making the same liberal arguments over and over again. We keep, we support our base, but we fail to uh, we we fail to root some of our policies in uh, the values of the other side, and. Or, or we can do the, the 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 Democrat way, where it says rather than uh, rather than trying to root your policies in, in the other people's values, you compromise on your policies, and then you get no support from anyone else. P, like Brown seems to be someone that's a little bit interested in. He he takes a sane suite of policies and then tries to sell it on conservative values. That's what we need to try to do. You don't need to compromise on what you want to implement. What, like, there's only a, a few ways that you can govern this country. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're we're at a crossroads in this country. There's 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 certain policies that basically have to be implemented in order for our country to move forward. Indigenous reconciliation is absolutely one of them. There's no two sides about it. If you're not willing to reconcile with indigenous people, 
you must be some sort of colonizer, racist, or you're you're a dinosaur from another another century. You have to promote indigenous rights in order to continue progressing our country forward. Uh, Brown seems to acknowledge the truth in that. Now he's saying we're going to do that, but there's a conservative reason to do that. That's all we need in this country. We need to bring conservatives to the political mainstream by saying the policies that need to be implemented, there are conservative reasons for implementing those policies. We're not implementing them just because liberals like them. We're implementing them because they're the right things to do, because both liberals and conservatives agree they're right. That's the sort of argumentation you need to be making rather than uh, you know, left versus right continually. And you know, Brown's a terrible person for you know, everything that we've said before. I wish it wasn't him making that argument. I wish Sheree would be picking up these lines, but I was just glad to hear that line being brought out in, the, in a debate like this. I think Canada is better for, for having that, uh, that discussion happening. I think one thing that, that Patrick Brown is effective at politically is the ability to connect with kind of slices of the population that either feel or are uh, under you know, sort of sort of ignored and connecting bringing them into the party with their values and conservative values I think he does a very good job yeah. Yeah. at doing that and you can do that with progressive values too but I I mean I think there's a way I think we're, what the Liberal Party gets wrong is doing it in a finger wagging way uh, I think what the conservative party historically gets wrong is not bothering. <laughs> so yeah. Brown is trying to bother with doing that. Um, and I think he's maybe in a sense taking a page out of the Jason Kenney textbook of, you know, recruiting immigrant communities and things, but in a different, in a different way, you know, he's, he's having to make up for mistakes that the conservatives made in the past. Uh, you know, for example, the 2015 policy to uh, ban face coverings during citizenship ceremonies, you know, just a just a cheap shot. That the was Barbaric Cultural Practices Act an, in general. Another I think one. That he seemed to be bringing that up a lot in the debate. And, you know, and Paul, that was supported by Polyev and, and, and other sitting uh, MPs at the time on the campaign trail. That was the party platform. And the architect of that party platform was Jenny Byrne, who is uh, Pierre Polyev's campaign manager. And I want to talk about Jenny Byrne for a little bit. I have a real problem with the continued platforming of Jenny Byrne. There's, a, I believe, an ex-liberal PMO staffer, and I have nothing against him, uh, David Hurl, who has him, who has a, who has a podcast called The Hurl Burley, uh, and he has a lot of uh, the former and current uh, politicos on his show. And Jenny Byrne was on his show, and I, I'm just wondering, it's, it's starting to raise, uh, for me, it's raising eyebrows, because this is a woman who was, was the campaign manager in 2015, when a Harper uh, campaign proposed, I would say some of the most racist policies in a long time that any political party, not that political parties didn't do that because they sure did regularly, all of them many years ago. This was the first openly racist party that we've, or uh, openly racist policy uh, blatantly to score political points that we'd seen in decades. I think that the Byrne team should be ashamed of themselves for that. Uh, I, I do not know to date whether she's shown any remorse for that. Uh, she's now managing Pierre Polyev's campaign, which is just perfect because I, and, and maybe people don't like, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure she's a nice person. Like I've never met her. I'm sure she's a friendly person and very professional. And clearly she's good at what she does because she has been on winning campaigns. But I associate with her with the mean, ugly, nasty conservative party that too many people are yeah. tired of. 
And it, I mean, it goes to show Pierre Polyev, he's an attack dog. He's uh, he's a pugnacious person when it comes to his political performances. Jenny Byrne has also been associated with just negative and mean and spiteful and resentful campaigns. If if you had not told somebody, if you if you had told somebody outside of Canada that Stephen Harper was the prime minister and not a candidate, you'd be shocked because he was running against Justin Trudeau like an opposition leader, uh, and and not just an opposition leader but an opposition leader trying really hard to stay relevant and trying hard to stay relevant by being mean and racist. That yep. was the approach they tried to take. They thought it would be enough. They thought that Justin Trudeau was a, a complete lightweight and he turned out to be just enough, just heavy enough to win a majority government and beat Stephen Harper. Now, do I think that was all because of Trudeau or because people were sick of Harper? I think it was probably the latter. We tend to vote governments out, not in. However, one of the things that turn Canadians off from giving Harper a fourth look and the thing that continually does turn people off from giving parties a fourth look, they always turn arrogant. They always get this like arrogant streak to them near the end of their mandates because they've built up a record as long as their teeth and they have to defend it. And the default approach to that is just acting like they've never done anything wrong, which makes you look arrogant. Uh, and not to mention you compound that with the racist mean policies that Harper did. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think it's, it's completely on brand for flipping out a Polyev, who some call a protege of Harper. I think that's a bunch of BS. I don't think they're quite cut from the same cloth. I think they're both intelligent, but they, they do politics very differently. And, but, uh, but I do think that a similarity between them is this mean, negative, resentful approach. And I don't know whether that's, I mean, it's the Pierre Polyev was like that before the leadership campaign, but I mean, Jenny Byrne is at the helm of this campaign campaign too. Look at the press release he released yesterday or the day before, uh, responding to David Dodge. He was an ex Bank of Canada governor. He was commenting on Pierre Polyev's ludicrous criticisms of the Bank of Canada. Did they did they and respond desire to, to fire the acting governor? Well, of the Bank and of and, and so well. here's the thing. So did did the the Bank of Canada act too slow to to uh, to tackle inflation? That's a fair question to debate. You can debate that legitimately, but saying that you're going you're going to uh, saying in public over and over to millions that the Bank of Canada is essentially you're alluding that it's corrupt and it's just a printing machine for Trudeau is very dangerous rhetoric. And that's the problem that I have with Jenny Byrne, and that's the problem that I have with Pierre Polyev. This is the kind of shit where people get hurt. And uh, I'm not saying the Bank of Canada, the governor of the Bank of Canada necessarily, I mean, he could, but it's it's things like uh, attacking institutions, which conservatives would, would traditionally never do. Progressives would do it for a rightful reason. Um, you're trying to cozy up to the, the truckers with coffee and donuts, and then you're going to go and try and win a general election. And I, I, I think that they, they're, they're taking note. They must have been taking notes during the 2016 campaign. It is a very Trumpian. I know that, that Trump gets thrown at a lot of conservative candidates and the comparisons aren't always apt. But I do think it's very Trumpian of him. He's trying to steamroll through all of the norms by normalizing it. He's trying to steamroll through uh, the norms of not attacking Canadian institutions as a conservative by attacking Canadian institutions, even ones that traditionally would be favored by conservatives. Uh, to fit his narrative, he's playing into conspiracy theories. I saw an interview with him yesterday in French, an interview, quote-unquote, with some rando from the Quebecois wing of uh, like 
like freedom convoy people i forget exactly what his like organization was called or his group but he had a quote-unquote interview with pierre polyev sitting next to him where pierre polyev said oh you know i don't support the the world economic forum socialist agenda and i'm against them and blah 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 even though his name was on their website until recently i don't know if he asked to have it removed i assume he did but it's, it's just absolute hypocrisy or hammering jean Shrey on huawei which i mean i i understand why he does that but it it People should be bringing up more the fact that that Stephen Harper's government sat down with Huawei in 2012. Everybody's danced with Huawei. At well, that's one point what Jean Charest tried to do. He in tried, the last but debate. he's he's not. It didn't land, you know. And and no, and it and it could and it land. It doesn't make any sense either, really. Like, oh, that's the that's the guy. The, it the doesn't make any sense that, coming from him. No, it was <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. Like, that's the company that that Stephen Harper allowed into Canada. So does that make Huawei okay? Because Stephen Harper thought it was okay. Like, no, but it's it's, it's like it's Stephen not Harper about... makes mistakes, and it's like it's it's really weird that that was the line that he yes. tried to go. I guess he just sort of hoped that Stephen Harper's name was going to sanctify everything. But no one has more Stephen Harper cred than than Pierre Polyev because he's the one that sat in 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 his cabinet. No one else can can use the mantle of Stephen Harper more effectively than Pierre Polyev. So it's, that's it's like, possible, it's really weak. But I wonder if it was less about sanctifying or if it was more about um, kind of pointing out the hypocrisy of Pierre Polyev's scorched earth approach, you know? Yeah. Like his, he, and that's what it is. It's really a scorched earth approach. It's, it, it's, you are not a true conservative if you do not think exactly the way I do. So if you worked for Huawei, which is, you know, that's a blind spot. I'm acknowledging that. I'm not defending that. But you worked for Huawei. So screw you. Uh, you defended the long gone registry at one point. Uh, you had a disagreement with Stephen <laughs> Harper at one point. Uh, it's like, so it's like, it, it's just, it's absolutely scorched earth. And it's toxic. And it, But I mean, it's the same approach that, that Trump, I mean, Trump, similar to, to Polyev, made a, a bunch of old school conservatives look like tools i mean they are tools but he like kind of made them look like tools in a different way he turned them into cartoon caricatures giving them nicknames and pierre polyev hasn't quite done that but he put you know in that press release that i was alluding to he put out a, a press release about david dodge the former governor of the bank of canada who who called his whole bit on on uh, the bank of canada bs and he responded saying that he should be embarrassed for saying that and that he should should have said something and blah 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 it's just like it's just ludicrous it's just childish kindergarten cop bs elementary um however it sells to a certain audience it sold to enough americans in 2016 when trump got elected Pierre is trying to ride the populist wave that is cresting across the world, and he may well succeed. That's the dangerous thing, is we all go and we sit around and we go, it's disgusting, and, and how can this happen, and this is gross. But that's the scariest part. It's disgusting, and it might work. So I think what Sheree is doing in these debates is exactly what you said they need to do, which is moving... Um, the conservatives back towards a, a moderate position, back towards um, defending institutions. I mean, Sheree did say that point blank, conservatives should be the ones defending institutions. The problem is I think Sheree is very much proving himself to be yesterday's man and that he's not, he's not following up with the modern conservative movement. And that is a movement that, that doesn't give a shit about institutions. I mean, they, they, they mentioned both uh, both Reagan and um, Margaret Thatcher in this debate. And, you know, since those two, we've had 40 years of, cons of the conservative movement basically going to war with every institution in our, uh, in, in our entire um, uh, 
liberal democracy save the church probably like that's uh, they have completely gutted the social state they've completely destroyed trust in government and once you start that that ball rolling there's no natural place to stop it so you know once you've completely destroyed the government and then of course you start attacking other institutions we had again uh was it Pierre? Yeah, Pierre Polyev also also mentions his attack on universities, and I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to defund universities that don't allow freedom of speech, which doesn't chooses not to define what that means for him. Uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, um, how can Sheree make an argument about defending institutions when conservatives have decades? and decades of conservative thought leaders telling them that they should be attacking institutions. Um, and at, at this point, you, you've lost the plot, basically. Um, they make a, a slightly better argument there when he's talking about uh, investment opportunities, when he's, when he's talking about, um, you know, if we go after our, the governor of our, of our central bank, that's going to scare money away. You know, that's, a, that's an argument that I think we're, we're 20 years too late in the in the conservative movement. The conservatives also move more populist. Conservatives, when I'm talking about politics with my conservative friends, uh, we tend to agree on ideas of like uh, concentration of wealth that the that the the super rich, the elites are running everything. We just have different definitions of of who the elites are. Like the there isn't there isn't a conservative voter out there who is oh I'm really unhappy that. Um, there isn't enough investment in Canada. There, maybe that's like a small priority for them, but they're much more concerned about their uh, their day to day life uh, culture issues now. They're not they're, This is not the the pro business party that it was 20 years ago. This is a culture first party, a white grievance party, and he's failing to root um, his messages in that. You can make an economic argument to like I'm going to bring jobs back. That's like you can't, but you can't make the more abstract argument of this is good for investment. You can't say terms like this is investment or capital if it's too high level. It doesn't it doesn't ring in this conservative party anymore. You got to talk about your jobs. You got to talk about affordability. Like it's you got to bring it back to the the everyman because it's the sort of populist message that rings in this party, and he just. Given the opportunity, he consistently fails to do that. He gets the right tone. He he has it when when Sheree wakes up. He's a good performer. He's a good debater. But I think he's using his his talents on the absolute wrong message for this moment. Sadly, I I, I hate it, but I think that you hit on something quite apt. Uh, I think what Sheree is trying to do is sound prime ministerial yeah, yeah. because he knows that a great amount of clips are going to go to other Canadians who aren't buying a conservative membership, who might vote in the general. They may not buy a membership, but they might vote in the general. I think based on, I don't want to say that everything is comparable to Trump 2016, but here I am going to draw it in again. When, say, Jeb Bush and some of the other old boy Republicans tried to act like old boy Republicans and tried to sound presidential and tried to talk about their records... Uh, they got steamrolled. Um, I mean, I think the difference between Trump and Polyev, and this is, again, an attack that his opponent should be using more. Polyev has been in public life, like, been in, not, not in public life, has been employed on the public dine since he was 25. He's been an MP since 2004. An MP that was elected in 2004 
and has been elected in the same riding seven times is trying to tell you all of a sudden, now I hate the elites. What his opponent should be doing is, where were you in 2004? Why didn't you do something about it then? Not because necessarily as a backbencher MP, he could have done much, but the average Canadian wouldn't necessarily be engaged with what level Pierre Polyev was at then, unless they were nerds like us. So what, is, what, the, what their opponents should be doing, including Charest, is more of, okay, you want to play the old boy game? Sure. I mean, you wouldn't actually say it yeah. this way, but I'm just paraphrasing. You want to play the old game, old boy game? Sure. Yeah, I, I've been a politician for 40 years, and you have been a politician for 20 where were you in 2006 standing up against me? Where were you in two, in 2010 when blah, blah, blah? Like, this is the kinds of things, these are the kinds of contrasts that I think his opponents have that maybe Trump's opponents didn't have on him because, yeah, sure, he was a, you know, a, a, mo- a real estate mogul. He was in public life, but he wasn't a politician. So it was easy for him to say, well, if I was there before, I would have done a better job. But Pierre Polyev, though he is using some of the same tactics, doesn't have the benefit of saying, well, I'm new to public life. He's not. He's been around for almost 20 years, and much of it he was a crown minister. (laughs) So it's like, okay, what did you do when you were minister other than wear a blue tie and talk to us about, like, partisan BS? And that's what people should be pointing out. Pierre Polyev is extremely intelligent and he clearly has some policy depth when he wants to be, but he's a retail politician in the classic sense that he sells you red meat. Mm-hmm. You can poke holes in that. You can say, okay, Pierre, what would you do? And watch him stumble through an answer. Not because he's not smart, but because that's not his attack. He wants to get mean. Yeah. And you there's there are, believe it or not, ways to make people who are mean look like an idiot. And... Being prime ministerial, though I'll give Jean Charest credit, shows his grace as a as a candidate is not going to sort of pull the support he he needs as much as I think he thinks it does. I think it pulls him support from maybe centrist Canadians that again aren't going to buy a conservative membership but might vote for him in the general. I don't know whether or not it's enough to sell memberships to those people. Uh, you need to do you need to look prime ministerial. It's fine to look prime ministerial, but you need to follow that up with. Okay, you want to talk old by politics? Well, guess what? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, that's where he needs to come in and point out the fact that what has Pierre Polyev done? He was like an inconsequential minister for three years, I think, or something. I'd have to go look he at his record. He was even less than three years. The rest years. of the time, he's been a backbencher. Well, he was a parliamentary it was, it was secretary very short. To, to Stephen Harper before him. Like, he was the guy that took He was the, attack he was the guy dog. that took hits for the prime minister, and that was, that was his job. He was... And then I remember he, I remember, I don't know how long, but he was employment minister yeah, for at least a brief like, amount like, of time. I think like he, a, I remember him in his... a couple of, I would say like 18 months at the max at the, at the end of it. But yeah. Uh, we'd was... have to fact check this listener. So don't take us seriously here, but uh, we do know that it was, it had to have been less than five years that he was a minister. <laughs> like not for very long. Most of his career, he's been a backbencher or an opposition. And, and what has he done for someone you? Someone like. What has he done for you? Someone like uh, Jean Charest is sort of the, the best example to put that contrast because he was the youngest um, the youngest cabinet minister in history. I think he was 28 or 27 that he became a minister in Mulroney's government. So it's like in the very first, in the very beginning of his political re- career, people already saw that he had talent. They put him in the front benches, and then he went on to to lead the Liberal Party in, in Quebec and to become the the Premier of Quebec. Like he's someone who's, who can make that very convincing argument of, you know, I didn't just enter politics to hear the sound of my own voice. I entered politics to get shit done, and that's what I've been doing. And he tries to do that 
he tries to do that. Um, I th- I think that he just he just consistently fails to bring up um, things in his record that are actually going to resonate in today's audience. He talks about like lowering taxes in Quebec, which yes, that's true. But the simple fact that um, he allowed cap and trade to exist in Quebec, and that's considered a, a that's stain. considered a, a carbon tax. It's not a carbon tax. It's cap and trade, but whatever. He that's considered evil. And in conservative minds, the carbon tax is equivalent to like a tax on three hundred percent of your income. It's like it's a I know sin. a carbon. It, they've it's. I don't know why conservatives aren't able to do math, but for some reason they're convinced that a carbon tax is like by far the greatest burden on every single Canadian. Um, it's not, and you can you can show. I mean, Pierre Polyev at least was willing to make a, a more broad-based argument if he said that the tax burden overall increased in Quebec during Charest's tenure. I, I think that's complete BS because every stat that Pierre Polyev has, has ever said is 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 wrong or out of context so i have no reason to believe him when he when he said tonight that that's what happened um but certainly just the the simple fact that you that you had it you you lower taxes on one end and you brought in a carbon tax on the other in conservative minds that's a washer that still makes you evil even if you lowered income taxes by much less than you raised in, in any sort of uh cap and trade scheme so he needs to find something else and you know when you have a, a record that long you can certainly find something else i think it's pure laziness on the part of uh Shrey and his team that he's not choosing to find it i think it has to be some sort of 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 culture um thing and this is you know i'm going to get into some really murky territory here and this is probably where pro- uh, progressives are going to get angry with me but i think that actually Shrey going against um uh, Bill 21 and going against the Quebec Charter of Values is is a mistake. He he implemented the in his own in, province. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He implement not just in his own province, but in the, in the rest of Canada. Actually, he implemented interesting um, the forerunner of the of the Charter of of Rights and Values. Like he clearly was as Quebec Premier was willing to play on that side of the fence of um, talking about you know secularizing culture, removing uh um overt um uh religious symbols like every every liberal every premier of quebec liberal or or pq or now cac is is willing to make these sort of dog whistles i i think if he if he was really interested in winning the conservative party as it exists now he might want to lean in a little bit more in that direction and say something. It's something about culture warrior stuff. Maybe not that. Maybe it's something about getting going against universities because he fought a lot against uh, like uh, uh, student activists. You got to find something. You got to find something like that where it's uh, you know you're fighting against woke culture. That's the way that you're going to get conservatives in this moment to go against you. There, it's a culture moment time. Talking about taxes when you can be so easily def- defeated on um, uh, on carbon taxes is is really weak ground. He's got to he's got to find the, the the cultural reason because that's what's animating the base, and he's he's failing to find it. Well, um, and for a point of context, listeners, Jacob isn't bringing that up because he supports 
the Quebec Charter. No, no, I, I'm, I'm very against it, He's... but I'm, I'm suggesting that like there's a reason why it's, it's why it's so politically motivating to, to bring it up in Quebec. It's because it's popular, and it, and we're seeing that that the popularity of going so hard against religious minorities is it's a popular thing in the rest of Canada too. We're a racist country. And the Conservative Party is a is a party that's willing more than any other party to allow that uh, flag to fly. Um, I think that uh, you know I, I'm very proud of him for for standing uh, against it and taking such a strong stance. Uh, it's it, he's going to make it's a principled stance, and it's because he's taking the principled stances why we can be certain he's going to lose. Well, and it's, I mean, it's like Scott Aitchison's entire campaign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's taking, he's he's the only sane one on the stage, and for that reason, he's gonna yeah. lose. It's so you take sad. The high road it's to your, really your so damned, sad, basically, in the party. And like, I wish we lived in a in a political climate where we could run on what what genuinely was right. Uh, and but the reality is, is even if you're Sheree, like I noticed Sheree, like I know I, I definitely if he wanted to win more red meat votes, he would go more red meat. But I notice even he has succumbed to trying to get the few like anti woke, anti cancel culture lines in there because he knows it's what people want to hear. Now you're right, he's not if he wants to win more red meat memberships, he's not doing enough of it. But I notice you know he made a little comment when he's like, I'm not a hyphenated conservative. Like maybe the left can hyphenate people. Yeah, like, just, like, true, true, like, true. Yeah, I rolled my eyes at that. Like the which progressives are gonna are gonna roll their eyes at, but conservatives are gonna go hoo 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 hoo. So like you know if he did more of that, maybe he'd sell more memberships. He just needs to he needs to root that in his in his record basically is what he needs to do. He needs to show like, if that's going to be your line and I'm, I'm against that morally, but if that's going to be your line, then you need to root in your record. Cause your whole, your whole spiel is that you have a record that you can stand on, that you have a, you have a proven record of getting things done. So you got to find some stuff that you did in the past that actually conservatives care about. Cause I, right now they, they just don't, they could not care less. And Red Tory specifically, uh, who I would, you know, Sheree would probably not like me using that term, but that's what he is. And, and other Red Tories like him are in a very tough position in the current Conservative Party, particularly after the fact that Aaron O'Toole tried to co-op the party as a, a covert, a covert uh, Red Tory, yep. when the whole time he should have just been honest about his, his position and perhaps he would have cobbled enough support together to, to get through. Uh, building and up building other coalitions, but instead what he did is, and I'm not even disagreeing with what he did to be honest. I think it's perfectly fine to to act a certain way in a leadership contest and and govern another way because sometimes that's what you, what you need to do to be able to get in a position to govern. But he didn't govern because he failed, and he failed because he was too wishy washy. Yep. Um, you know, he he's he would you know he was getting attacks from within about being too left on things, and then he would be wishy washy, and then everybody else would go, "What are you doing?" And then he just looked like a complete flailer. It's like if you're going if you're gonna flip flop, <laughs> which what which he did, I'll admit that. Then you flip flop once. You run as a conservative, really hyper true blue conservative, which he never was. He was always a red Tory. Then you pivot to full like, and and he kind of went halfway. Like he's like conservatives recognize carbon pricing, of which of course incensed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't go far enough on other things. You know, he tried to to rile up the campus conservatives by saying, "Oh, you can own the libs by saying that residential schools were a good place sometimes." And like, oh like he just made stupid God. gaffes like that. It's like, bro, no. 
Like, don't even bother to appeal to the red meat conservatives. Now that you're the opposition leader, you don't need them. You can yeah. go out and build a new... Like, he could have easily... He could have won that election. He could have built a new coalition going a little bit further to the left. Absolutely. And sure, it would have pissed off his base. But the, the country would have been in a lot better position than they are now because now the party is hypersensitive to people like Sheree, Brown, and Aitchison, who I would say are to the left of the party, uh, historically, you know for the most part, and they're hyper attuned to any sort of flip-flop that will happen, uh, which is why Sheree is having to almost be stiff and, and like almost give give lip service to, I wouldn't say he's stiff, like he speaks comfortably, but he's stiff in the sense that he feels like he has to throw some red meat lines out every now and again, and they don't really come naturally to him, uh, to people who know his positions in the past, so it's, it's just a little bit weird to watch, I guess, um, and and I think, I think, I think, the fact that he's trying to come off as prime ministerial without pointing out Pierre Polyev's flaws in an effective way and, and without kind of, you know, he's leaning very much on his involvement in the national unity campaign. And it, and it was, it's true. Like he, he was a big part of that campaign and he was effective, but you, uh, I, I read, I can't remember which article who wrote this, but I was reading an article recently uh, and I feel bad that I'm forgetting the publication and the author's name, but it was something along the lines of, um, you know, Charest telling stories about national unity, and it's true he was formidable in that sort of whole spiel in 1995 when Quebec almost broke off. Uh, but those are old war sto- old war stories to uh, conservatives, and you kind of touched on that. You said you know conservatives don't care about you know, the modern day conservative movement doesn't care to defend institutions, and maybe I should add a caveat to what I said about institutions. I'm surprised. I think that in a way that conservatives are moving away from institutions, but also not surprised because it's, it's just the populist wave that's coming with, with Donald Trump. I wish conservatives would defend the existence of the institution, but admit it needs reform. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still something of a middle ground. That's why Pierre Polyev comes in full stop. I'm going to fire the, the governor of the bank of Canada. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because anything that isn't that looks like then not suddenly Sheree or whoever else says, Oh, you know, well, I, I, they, we need to reform the institution. looks like they're a gatekeeper in the mushy middle, or that's how P- Pierre Polyev can frame them. So you can get boxed in and, and, Sheree did did get boxed in a couple of times and he was on the defensive because of his posturing on some of the issues. He needs to, he, he needs to a embrace the fact that he's been around for 40 years instead of acting like it's an Achilles heel. Um, and instead of talking about the, you know, things he did 30 years ago, talk about the, what the breadth of experience that you bring to the table will do, you know, what will, what will you do for the party now? Focus more on that, and he's talked about that a little bit. Like he got into it with the two bases in the north and stuff, and like he's he's getting into it a little bit. But let's see more of that. And then when Pierre Polyev comes at you for being a Quebec liberal, then you can pull his pants down and embarrass him. Yep. You know, so I do think that the national unity question is probably the perfect example of Charest being like totally offside with the with the modern conservatives and, and constantly bringing up they don't care about like, that. exactly like like. <laughs> Modern conservatives are the ones that are going to break up the country because uh, they're the they're they're the separatists in in Alberta that are thinking you know the the country is moving too far to the left and I'd prefer to to go my own rather than uh, continue with this 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 shithole liberal country like they're my my conservative relatives are more than willing to uh, uh, talk my ear off about such a possibility I'm well aware that. Um, the commitment to national unity is not as strong in that party as it used to be. Uh, and, and constantly bringing up that I was the savior of, of, of Canada. I mean, even, even me growing up all my life in Alberta, like I know how Canada was saved. We just pay, we just cut a, 
Quebec another check. Like a Westerner watching uh, a Quebecer telling us about how lucky we are to still have a country. I'm always rolling my eyes a little bit at that. Like there's a cost to, uh, to keeping the country together and, it's uh, oil money from Alberta going directly into into Quebec's coffers through equalization, and the rest of uh, and, and Quebec pretending that 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 it doesn't get that. And it's always going to annoy me a little bit. And uh, he's a perfect reminder of that to every conservative that's that's watching at home. The the perfect attack on Pierre Polyev from Jean Charest is exactly the same sort of attack that uh, Pierre Polyev pulled against Charest tonight, and that was. It's against the the front that you would never expect. And Pierre Polyev attacked Charest for his um, for, for taking pro life stances in in Parliament. That was an attack on his left that he never could have seen coming. And you see, when um, Pierre Polyev, by contrast, is most afraid, it's when he's attacked by Leslie Lewis on the right. And that's where yeah. that's where uh, Jean Charest needs to be attacking Pierre Polyev when he's been in parliament for so long when he's taken so many votes you can certainly find something in his record where he's probably said or done something too far left uh for the party to accept that's where he needs to be attacking him and he chooses not to Leslie lewis is very good at 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 forming the contrast unfortunately uh she forms a contrast on like uh, 80 80 20 issues or 90 10 issues where the vast vast majority of canadians are against her particularly when she is saying, you know, attacks Pierre Polyev for not being pro-trucker enough or not being pro-life enough. Like, you'll get cheers for that in the Conservative Party. You're not helping yourself with the wider Canadian public. It's a very, very resolved issue in, in, in the rest of the wider public. But you can certainly find some issues where probably Pierre Polyev has been... Um, uh, more left in the public. Just he's a guy that lives in. He's lived in Ottawa for such a huge portion of his life. He's been, you know, uh, living on the public dime his entire adult life. You can certainly find an example of him acting like an elitist, or you know, do the thing that Pierre Polyev did to uh, uh, Maxime Bernier and attack him for having his name on the Davos website. Like you, you, you can always find something if you if you want to find it, but. He's not willing right. to attack him from that flank because, you know, I, I guess he thinks, oh, I'm the, I want to be the left-wing candidates. The, I think the problem is like left, left-leaning candidates in the Conservative Party, have, or sorry, left-leaning voters in the Conservative Party have absolutely nowhere else to go but Sheree at this point. You know, Scott Atchison or or, or Scott Brown, if you want to get angry, or Patrick Brown, if uh, I, I guess technically, but but Patrick Brown seems to be going even after a completely different constituency at this point. Uh, if you are particularly a white, um, red, sorry, I should say you're ethnically white, but you're a red Tory, you know, uh, your only camp is the charade camp at this point. Um, so charade doesn't need to worry about you know, going after those guys, those Atlantic red Tories, those Quebecois red Tories. You gotta, you gotta cut off Pierre Polyev from his base, which is the rights. You gotta find some way to sever him, to disconnect him from those guys, make the, make the, Make those right-wing voters free agents, or make them stay home even better, so they stop polluting your party. That's the that's the way you got to be attacking this guy, and he he chooses not to in in every possible uh, every possible time that he's given the opportunity, he chooses not to take it. 
And he tries to take the high road, yeah. which I think works in a general, but doesn't doesn't work for this conservative party. And I say this conservative party because I I do think there was a time where it could have worked, and I, that time is not now. Yeah. And uh, it, with his current approach, and so I mean, to you know, the final point I'd like to bring up, and I'd, I'd like your your thoughts on it as well. <clears throat> the th- the thing about this populist wave that's consuming the country with with all of its rage and all of its anger and all of its vitriol it's a backlash i mean i I don't want to rehash too much of what's already been said about what 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 is deemed the culture wars but it's a backlash what it is at the heart is a backlash against other groups gaining rights that's what it is and because other groups are gaining rights it is taking the spotlight off of the original group being you know the the white anglo-saxon protestants uh, you know what white, white people and and it's upsetting for some of those people and there are legitimate grievances with working class whites in terms of not with with any race issues like i'm not talking about any of that but i mean like economically speaking they've been left behind there's been no severance supports for them or lacking severance supports for them there's been no attempt to transition them to other industries um all Trump did in 2016 was say, oh, I hear you. And they went, oh, my God, he's our guy. Like, like th- there's not a lot that you need to do to like to, to speak to these people. And that's where I think progressives have an opportunity to pull some of these disaffected people, particularly union people, back on side. And obligation uh, to do so. And, and obligation to do so, particularly in the NDP, which is supposed to be a workers' party. And so I, I, I think it's... It's surprising to see. I mean, I think the you know the NDP as it currently exists federally pays lip service to workers, but it's just surprising to see that it, it's It's kind of you know like center left politicians are like surprised when they wake up and they've lost their voting coalition kind of thing, and that's because oftentimes they either advertently or inadvertently sort of give the opposition ammo to fire at them. Now the Trudeau Liberals are are. Definitely an ex- exclusively lucky case in that they had Donald Trump as president in the U.S., so they were a, a sign of stability for many Canadians who were terrified and hate Donald Trump, who were terrified that, that Trump took power in the States. Uh, they've had an opposition party that has imploded three times in a row now, uh, including in the last election that they could have won. Uh, so he's been handed a lot of political gifts. But on the flip side, he's also... He's, he's failing. He, he's somebody who, and I won't go at length about Trudeau because we already have, but you know, he's, he's somebody I've talked about before in this podcast fails to realize his own blind spots. Um, so there's ample opportunity for Pierre Polyev or someone else to exploit that. However, the, the, the crux of these culture wars is amplified by misinformation and the internet. And it's a large piece of Pierre Polyev's campaign. He's appealing to a crowd that I, I don't want to be condescending or rude, but they're not always politically literate. Uh, and he's appealing to a lot of people who believe that the World Economic Forum is in control of everything. It's a very popular conspiracy theory. The World Economic Forum is using world leaders as puppeteers, when in reality they have no real power at all beyond a fancy gala. If you don't believe me, look up conservative MP Michelle Rempelgarner's article on it. She wrote basically talking about those those get-togethers in Davos, Switzerland, Saying that they're glorified uh, galas, they don't. It's it's a place to network. They don't really get any. They, sure, they put out a policy communique, but they're it's like any other think tank. They don't really do. Any, they don't have any real power other than to like bring people into their orbit. It's not like they're they're puppeteering. But Pierre Polyev has exploited this, and 
the internet has has as the algorithms the on the algorithms on the internet exploit it because it's what get, continues to get clicks and the more clicks it gets the faster it spreads and the faster it gets shown in people's recommendations and if you're young males you're getting shown all this stuff about the world economic forum controlling everything and the thing that Pierre Polyev has done very cleverly I hate to give him this is appealing to young people on issues like housing yeah. for example uh, obviously he's not going to be able to fire all the gatekeepers everybody knows that it doesn't matter because again, the people that he's attracting are not people who traditionally would care about politics. They don't care about that. They said they they're going to vote for him because Pierre Polyev said he'll he'll fire the gatekeepers. Now I'm not saying progressives need to come in and say they'll also fire the, the fire the gatekeepers, but we've got to do more than just saying what the liberals are saying, which is oh we'll have some, like you know 300 more houses built in in five years. Yeah. That's not good enough. And any party, it is true, any party that pro or leader that promises to solve the housing crisis is lying. But you need to have something substantive to say. And progressives continually don't on an issue that should be very easy for them. Yes, they're they're getting better, particularly progressives are getting better at putting themselves in the conversation, particularly with unhoused people. Um, but liberals who I'm not, I'm, you notice, I'm not saying that they're, they're progressive because I, I don't quite think that the party under Trudeau is, is progressive enough. Um, liberals kind of have their hands tied where they're like, Oh, well, we're doing everything we can. But then, you know, meanwhile, house prices are soaring and nobody can get in the house. And as Pierre Polyev likes to cite the 32 year old in their mom's basement, blah, blah, blah. So but, and you know, it's a good line, too. Yeah. but it's, it's, it's a clever. So like, that's the thing is he's, he's got this very clever combination of this angry populist wave. And he's poking at like a lot of internet bros that are reading about the world economic forum and about Jordan Peterson's meat diet and whatever else. And we laugh and we think it's hilarious, but then he, he slams in a legitimate policy issue, housing, with an effective catchy line he's it's very clever because there's just enough red meat to hook people in and then there's a um things that he says he'll do on issues that matter to not just conservatives but all canadians so what do you what do you think it'll take jacob for other candidates to kind of combat that and i don't just mean the conservative leadership candidates that we saw on stage tonight but the liberals how are they going to respond to a guy how, do you, like, or actually, let me rephrase the question. Do you think they're going to respond with more of the same, or do you think that they'll they'll manage to cobble together an effective response on housing on the housing crisis in particular? On the housing crisis and on issues like it, where Polyev is kind of jumping in to offer a an easy solution. Well, it's, it's interesting that he continually brings up inflation and house prices because those are two things that everyone agrees is a problem, but yeah. that actually only affect. Uh, a particular tranche of the population there. And I think this is where um, the NDP and the liberals are, are having some problems in um, addressing the issue because essentially the only way that you can solve these sort of economic problems is by creating winners and losers through your fiscal policy. Like in particular with, with housing, it's just very clear the ways that our cities are zoned uh, privileges um, the owners of, of houses that are already built, and uh, we don't live we don't live densely enough. We need to be able to um, we need to be able to, to build much more much more dense um, in our cities. But that's going to basically completely destroy the property values of of everyone that 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 has their property. It's going to make the property much less scarce, and that would implode the life savings of a huge portion of the population, as well in and that basically is the same sort of deal with inflation. You have everyone is is concerned about inflation, but there are some people 
who their wealth is is dramatically um, being increased because their property values are going up faster than the price of their their grocery bills. So there's yeah. there's a uh, the, the government cannot pursue policies that help both of these people simultaneously. At some point, you will have to transfer the wealth from people that are gaining in the current economic uh, system to those who are losing. Now, Pierre Polyev obviously isn't going to do that. He's just going to he, he's just going to feed the egos of the guys that are stuck in the basement, hoping that they they could have a, a home of their own liberals need to be willing to make those sacrifices and actually show the policy differences and say that we are going to implement a wealth tax or something like that to uh, invest in um, you know uh, a more affordable life for Canadians whether that's more affordable housing or uh, more affordable uh, groceries or a basic income tax or sorry uh, a universal basic basic income it has to be funded through some sort of wealth transfer. It's the only way that we're ever going to escape this cycle of, in, of inflation. When everyone's, uh, when the people at the top are making more and more money, they spend uh, more and more um, on uh, scarce resources, and that increases the price for everyone below them, basically. So the only way you, you solve that problem is by cutting off the, the wealth at the top and, and spreading it throughout the throughout the pyramid. If we're not willing to do that, then um, we're not going to fix the problem. And we can invent uh, all sorts of, you know, populist messages, and we can try to we can try to beat Pierre Polyev in his own game and lie to the public better. But it's just not going to work when you're you're trotting out on their fourth term, and you know you've, you're you're pulling out all the same stops. At this point, the only thing the only thing that's going to save the government is by actually showing a new policy, by actually giving your solutions. Because that's your contrast. You say, Pierre is all talk, I'm solutions. If your only response is more lies, but just lies from the left rather than lies from the right, you've lost the election already. I mean, I do think it's key. I think you're right. I do think it's key to wrap actual policy. You know, progressives are going to present a solution to this issue. It's key that they wrap that policy issue in a populist tinge like you sort of have to meet the tinge of the moment mm -hmm. i think the frame of the moment there is a way to frame it populist like polyev but it has to be a substantive solution you can't go and and promise smoke and mirrors like you can't you can't say well i'll also fire the gatekeepers no not good enough you no. have to come up with something that's different from polyev that's a contrast and you need to you can frame it populist but you need to come up with something that's different and something that's realistic uh, and I, I think otherwise you're, you're just going to continue to lose faith. And I think that's that's why I find Polyev so dangerous, because he's playing this game to get votes. He's riding the wave of the moment. It's very blatant, but he's also playing with fire. Yep. And if progressives can't respond to that, then he's going to burn the whole country down. So Absolutely. Uh, I think on that happy note, we can uh, <laughs> wrap it up. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this We're such optimists, aren't we, Liam? Jacob. We just uh, we're yeah. really the happiest podcasters around. We really, we really are. And um, <laughs> if you also agree and you're also happy, happy, then you can send an email to speechfromthethrone at gmail .com. Tell us what you'd like to see in future episodes. Mention something we didn't talk about. Ask us a question. Whatever you want, you could uh, you know send us ideas for uh, new new movies to watch, new music to listen to. Uh, you could you could send us a copy of the phone book. Whatever you want, really. We'd love to hear from you, no matter what it is. 
We would love to hear from you no matter what it is. And with that, uh, we will see you in the next one. Adieu. Thank you.